Good afternoon, everyone. It's great to be gathered together here as we worship together and sing together and pray together, read the scriptures together, and even hear the announcements together. It is, uh, it's good to hear about opportunities, right, that we, the assembly has to be able to gather together to rejoice with those who rejoice in birth, as well as to weep with those who weep, even when there's uh, suffering and difficulty, right? That's all a part of what it means to be a part of Redemption Bible Church. And so I'm thankful for every aspect of uh, what takes place when, when we gather together. And, uh, you know, I think it, it helps us to recognize how we need to pray for one another, how we recognize that life is still happening. There's all kinds of things going on. And uh, certainly, uh, certainly as we gather together, we are very thankful for the opportunity to focus on the word through singing, through prayer, and of course, through the preaching and teaching of it. Turn this afternoon, if you would please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in just a few moments, I'm going to read verses 7 through, actually, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12, but we're going to focus in on verses 7 through 12 from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This afternoon, before the service started, we're uh, talking with, my wife and I were talking with a, a couple of folks about um, they were asking kind of where we're from, and my wife was uh, born in Grand Rapids. I was born in Camden, New Jersey, uh, so slightly slightly different locations, right? Uh, thank you for not holding against me that I'm from New Jersey. Appreciate that. Um, the uh, I've actually lived outside of the state uh, more than I've lived inside the state, which always makes my mother a little bit sad, but that's okay. She uh, she knows that uh, we're we're trying to honor God with all the the things we're doing with our family. Um, you know, when when you experience different places in life and you've traveled to different places, it's interesting the things that you learn. Uh, I spent a number of years down in South Carolina. And uh, went to went to school down in South Carolina, and uh, I went my freshman year of college. I learned a few things from the South, right? I learned a few things. Now I grew up in Jersey, right? And it's a little bit different in the South than it is in in, in Jersey. In fact, it's a little different everywhere except in New Jersey, right? It's got its own uh, uh, fun fun characteristics. So I went to this place with a few of my friends I had just met uh, called the Beacon Drive-In. The Beacon Drive-In. It's a restaurant in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And I uh, went over there. It's apparently, is this the second largest drive-in, I think, at the time, maybe in, maybe in the United States. Just an obnoxiously big location. Of course, we, we didn't order our food in the car. We got out to go into the restaurant because I was told by some of my friends who lived in Spartanburg, you have to experience it inside. You can't just sit in your car. Sure, let's, let's do it. So, you know, they feature some of the most amazing sweet tea where I'm pretty sure I got a cavity while consuming it. It is a traditional greasy spoon, really, in fine southern tradition. Uh, the menu features, of course, all their food as well as on the backside, the NASCAR Sprint Cup schedule. True story, I'm not making that up. That's actually what was on the menu. Uh, so when I was there, I ordered what I was told to order from some of my friends that apparently were out to destroy my intestines, I ordered a double bacon chili cheeseburger aplenty. That's not how you would say it, but that's how I pronounced it, and it was clear I wasn't from 
Iberia. So what does a plenty mean when you say that at the end? Well, what they do is, uh, besides the fact that it was a double bacon chili cheeseburger, uh, they mound it with onion rings right on top. They're not on the side, it's just the whole thing. So you have this plate of, you know, cardiac-inducing problems, right? But, you know, at the ripe old age of 18, what did I care? I didn't care. So they load up this plate, and I'm looking at this food, and we're kind of walking through the line, and you can imagine as you're kind of walking along this line that there's the people all behind you there who are fixing the food, and man, there's just a slew of people back there, and they're yelling orders, and it's a fun place, and it's going crazy. Well, the lady in front of me, a sweet, sweet little southern lady, I say little because she was literally little, she, she was very careful to say that there was a problem with her order. And she, she was being timid. She was trying to be so gracious. And she's just like, I, I think there might be something, I think there might be something wrong with my order. And the guy who was working the counter behind says, oh, no, we can't have that. This is terrible. What do you need? What did you want? Well, I actually wanted this and said, okay, we got that. Man, we can't let you be happy, uh, upset about coming through here. You know what this lady needs? She needs a pie. Get her a pie. What kind of pie do you want? And they gave her a whole pie. So I began to study my own plate. Is there anything wrong? Anything? <laughs> couldn't find anything wrong with my order, but I was just amazed at the extreme graciousness that came out when she'd indicated there was a problem, and she actually walked out with a whole nother pie. She tried to refuse, but there was no way you were refusing this group of people in Spartanburg, South Carolina, right? So when we see that, we appreciate it. When we're the recipient of it, we appreciate it even more, right? We love to be treated with graciousness and kindness. And when it's done toward us, we usually don't forget it. Uh, when it's done toward our family, we usually don't forget it. And when we see these amazing acts of kindness, it really is in this graciousness, it does have an impact, what I want us to see this afternoon is the manner in which we live the Christian life should show this graciousness to the same degree. Right? Where it has this amazing impact, where people are like, I don't know what's going on over there, but that's something we need more of. That's something that I want to impact my life. That's something that has clearly changed those people. As we live and communicate the gospel, one of the effects of a healthy church, when they engage in healthy church practices, is they have a graciousness that exudes when they communicate the genuine gospel of God. We know we have the genuine gospel when, as we looked at this last week, it's shown from the scriptures. We know we have the genuine gospel when it is done or communicated not for the benefit of the preacher or for an organization, but rather to give glory to God. And of course, when it happens, we have the making and maturing of disciples who are continuing to grow in grace, and that graciousness exudes in all the things that they do. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, please follow along as I read. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. In the first six verses last week, we saw how the genuine gospel properly motivates disciples. And then this afternoon, I want us to see that 
disciples communicate the gospel graciously. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother takes care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you'd become very dear to us, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless our conduct was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Disciples communicate the gospel graciously. Isn't it great when you get around someone who becomes like a fresh breath of air to you? Uh, you know, when you get in a car on a hot day and you turn on the air conditioner and at first it's like hot air comes out. It seems like every once in a while when I turn the air on, it'll just come on cold very quickly. Most of the time it doesn't, but when it does, it's always like an immediate sense of, of relief, right? This is the same concept or the same idea that we want to generate amongst those with whom we have contact as we communicate and demonstrate the gospel of God. So the first thing I want us to see from verse number seven is that disciples speak the gospel gently. Disciples speak the gospel gently. The text is rather abundantly clear here, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Of course, the image of a nursing mother caring for her own infant is clear on a couple of levels, right? It implies a parental bond that goes beyond mere gentleness, Secondly, it shows that this is going to result in a love that's going to flow out that we'll see in the next few verses here. So when we talk about someone acting in a gentle way and the way this word picture is set up here, it's not just simply about doing something graciously or kindly. It is also a strong bond that exists. These were people, the church at Thessalonica, who were caught up in idol worship. There were Gentiles and there were Jews who needed to come to the Savior. 
what the Apostle Paul is reminding them of how they approached their communication of the gospel with them. Remember, these were people who were caught in idol worship. I think sometimes it's easy for us to want to fall prey to acting with righteous indignation more often than not. I think sometimes it's easy for us, and I'll speak for myself here, it's easy for me sometimes just to want to prove that I'm right and you're wrong. All right, I've got something important to say here, so buckle up and tune in because I've got to get this out, right? And what he is saying is, look, the primary way in which I brought the gospel and communicated that we, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, came to you and, and, and brought this gospel message was because I was concerned about you in the same way that a mother would care for her child. When we hear of a mother who doesn't care for her child, we find it instinctively repulsive. What is wrong with that mother? Even our society finds that repulsive. So we understand the opposite of that, that there is an inclination that when a mother is caring for her child, it's not just about carefully washing their children. It's not just about carefully caring for their children, although that's true except when they have been rolling around, in the, rolling around in the dirt and there is nothing gentle about cleaning your child at that point. But it is actually showing a greater degree of love when you are keeping that bond intact. That is really the focus of, of the attention here. Disciples speak the gospel gently. Part of the effectiveness in communication of the gospel is that it should be done gently. How careful or gentle are we in speaking the truth? I'm not suggesting for a split second, nor would the Apostle Paul, that we not speak the truth. We should still speak the truth even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when it's not popular, but the manner in which we do it is what is paramount here. Some of us in our personality are a little more gentle than others, right? Some of us are a little more brusque. And so for some of us, we have to, I'll put myself into that, some of us need to think more carefully about how we come across because it's easy just to be blunt, easy to be point blank. And sometimes we pride ourselves on that. Well, I'm just a straight shooter. Fantastic. Just do it kindly. Right? Do it graciously. I have to remind myself of that. I think when we recognize that we speak the gospel gently, we need to recognize the people with whom we are communicating the gospel Let's just think for a moment about what do we think the top problem is in the world today? How's that, how's that for a question to think on this afternoon? What is, what is, what is it that, that you think most people are struggling with today? What is it that is the biggest problem? Is it financial problems? Well, maybe. Is it work problems? Well, maybe. We all have those to, to one degree or another. I remember having this conversation a number of years ago with some students in a class I was taking. It was kind of an open discussion. 
They said, what is it you think most people in the world are struggling with today? And one person spoke up and said, I believe that most people in the world today are hurting. It's like, wait, what? Inside the church and outside of the church, that's the biggest thing. They are hurting. They're hurting either from sinful choices that they have made or sinful choices that have been done toward them. I mean, this is the reality of living in a sin-cursed world. When people are pursuing a false religion, they are frequently, not always, looking for some kind of answer or some kind of hope because they're hurting or they're without hope or they have some kind of void that they're trying to fill. When people are pursuing all of these different things in life, sinful choices, it results in a deeper level of hurt. There are people who are sitting here this morning who know Christ and are still hurting. When we communicate the gospel of God, we need to recognize that we are speaking to people who are often hurting. They're facing difficulty some of which they may not even know how to communicate. And thankfully, the Spirit of God accepts that and pleads for us because we don't even know how to put it into words. And so when we are in conversation and we're building relationship, pause for a moment and recognize the hurt and the pain that may be present and communicate the gospel of God gently. The message in and of itself is going to create its own backfiring. It's going to create its own tension. It's going to come across, like I've said in the past here, as foolishness or as blasphemy, depending on a person's point of view, right? And the scriptures are clear on this. So the apostle Paul is reminding him, look, when we came to you, we did so gently. How are you contributing to a culture of grace and kindness? Are you that breath of fresh air, that cool cup of water to encourage people with the truth? Or are we just trying to prove a point or win a case or win an argument? You know, a lot of times if we would just pause and listen, it's amazing what we will learn. Frankly, this is the way biblical wisdom also approaches things because the wisdom that comes from above is first pure, then it is what? Peaceable. Then it's gentle. This next phrase always gets me easy to be entreated, right? There's always a way in which you can carry on these conversations and engage with what wisdom says, Right? And wisdom is defined as simply this, taking that truth and applying it in life, right? Helping people understand truth and seeing what that looks like in their day-to-day lives. This is the way a healthy church acts. They speak the gospel gently as a part of their gracious communication of the gospel. Secondly, verse number eight, disciples speak and live the gospel unconditionally. 
They speak and live the gospel unconditionally. So, look at verse number 8, chapter 2. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become very dear to us. This idea of joyfully, completely, wholeheartedly sharing good things. Clearly, Paul and Silas went beyond the God-given task of sharing the gospel. They showed the genuine love that they had for the believers at Thessalonica. The ESV says ready to share. New King James says well pleased. The NIV says delighted to share in our own lives. This ready or this pleased or this delighted indicates that it's something that was an ongoing commitment. It wasn't just a one and done. No, this was something that began that had an ongoing effect. We might say they were continually delighted to give of themselves in the communication and the demonstration of the gospel of God. See, it's all fun and games until you have to keep doing it. Right? That's the hard part. That's the part where we really need God's grace and we need help from one another and we need patience with one another. Last time I checked, we're all human. That means we're fallible, right? That means we have issues. <laughs> we have problems. And we need to completely, wholeheartedly share in these good things, recognizing that it's going to be an ongoing commitment. Sharing in their lives indicates it was a close, personal involvement with the believers. This was not a detached professionalism. It's easy to ask someone how they're doing and how do we respond, typically. Fine. It's fine. It's good. It's fine. 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 You know. It's one thing for us to be friendly, right? It's another thing for us to have friendships. Those are two very different things. Right, Because when you start to have that friendship with people, when you start to have that engagement with people, it carries the idea of not just loving someone, but then it being returned, right? There's something that's reciprocal about it. And there is this ongoing engagement that is occurring into each other's lives where you're speaking the truth into each other's lives. Now, this does not mean, make no mistake, it doesn't mean that every single time you get together with someone, it has to be unloading the truck of all the dirty laundry. That's not the point. At all. That too can be exhausting. But what it does mean is that there is an ongoing commitment to give of yourself to others and you doing the same. Because when the focus is taken off of yourself and it's put onto others, all of a sudden the frustrations and the things that you don't like anymore seem to melt away because you are now investing in the lives of other people. And that is exactly what they were saying. Let's think about the circumstance of what was going on. They had been in jail. It wasn't, what was us? We were in jail. Hey, we had to jump over the wall. Remember, we snuck out in the middle of the night. Nothing about them or their problems. It was how they were continually investing in them with the gospel of God. Disciples speak and live the gospel unconditionally. 
those who share the gospel cannot be detached from what it does because it creates a new body, a new community of believers. It's a community that is characterized by love. We can't be detached from people and disconnected, right, from where we live and what we do. Why is it difficult for us or is it risky for us to share and live the gospel with each other? There's a lot of reasons why this may be the case. I'll pose a couple of them to you. A lot of it just comes flat out down to fear, right? Fear of rejection. Fear of what this person might think or say. Am I going to really communicate the truth? And then we're afraid to, we get concerned about it. Perhaps we have a fear of pain, of getting hurt by someone. Last time I tried to be friends with someone, do you know what that person did to me? It's true of every single person in this room. We have all been hurt by someone, someone maybe very close to us, someone maybe in a church family, and we find ourselves wanting to become more and more detached, and I am patient zero. I'm speaking of myself. It's very easy to become detached when you have been hurt. Because what's going to happen? You're going to go back and engage, and then all of a sudden, it's, ugh, here we go again. And at some point, each of us has to get over that fact and do the same thing that Jesus did. Do the same thing that the Apostle Paul did. Live the gospel, love people, and communicate it unconditionally, investing in their lives. Because of the great joy that is present when that happens. Because that is what it means to demonstrate the gospel of God. We don't want to be hurt by someone, so we withdraw. It's also easy for us just to go with our little friend group. I got the people who I know, you know, I like. They like me. Maybe your family, maybe a group of particular people. There's only two congregations here, right? We have two sides. Anyone ever sit on the opposite side? Anyone say, okay, good, yeah, let's come, Dave, that's good. Yeah, I got a few little jump around. Uh, church, church where uh, I've been a part of for, for many, many years, there's at least three congregations. And we joke about it to our shame, right? It's like, oh, wait, you're, wait, you're on that side of the church. I'm on the piano side, where are you, you know? Because you kind of tend to get spread out, right? And as you, as you kind of, you know, think through, sometimes it's just more comfortable to go to that very same spot, Right? Now, some of that is just because we're creatures of habit. I get it. I understand that. However, the reality is we should be engaging with one another unconditionally in an ongoing way, demonstrating that love. And I think when we pause and stop to think for a moment, that when we, when, when we realize that the church is made up of a group of sinners, that's what we are. We're all a group of sinners. But this is something different. We are sinners who repent. Right? We are sinners who forgive. 
because of what God has done to us. That is why Ephesians 4 teaches us that we will be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So because of the forgiveness that you have received, you're going to act and communicate with that same level of kindness and forgiveness. And man, it's hard, which is why we need the grace of God. The Apostle Paul was making it clear that when disciples grow in grace, they communicate the gospel graciously, they do so gently, they do so unconditionally. Verse number nine, disciples live the gospel relentlessly. They live the gospel relentlessly. Verse number nine, if you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. First, this phrase of not being a burden. Certainly, it was Paul's apostolic right to place the financial burden on this group of believers. But rather than do this, Paul supported himself with his own labor. Now, you might be thinking, well, Paul was not having to work like we have to do that today, right? Actually, no. The typical worker in Paul's day and the Apostle Paul himself would have had to work a full day, which would have been basically from sunrise to sunset to earn enough for food and lodging. And if Paul worked a day by day at a craft, which we know he did, and then worked additional hours at his ministry, it is little wonder that he could comment, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep, he said to the church at Corinth. Now, obviously, Paul did not work around the clock all day, every day, but the phrase night and day here describes a long and exhausting daily schedule, which is the same pattern of what Christ had done, where he was ministering constantly all day long to people. There is a labor and a toil that is relentless. This is what it means to communicate the gospel graciously, is it has an ongoing or a continual effect. And I want to be clear, it's not necessarily characterized, this, this labor, this intensity is not necessarily, although it is this, it's not simply what happens when you gather together in this building. All of our lives don't happen in a few hours in an afternoon. They don't happen on a Wednesday night when we gather together. There was a lot of hours in between then. And certainly, we have these various devices I've heard of. I think, I think you're familiar with them, right? I mean, these things are amazing. You know, you can send little messages to each other. And if you want to really go crazy, you can actually speak to someone and hear them on the other end. With this amazing advanced technology, we're able to keep up with one another. We don't have to get on horseback. We don't have to hop on a donkey and ride around somewhere, right? The speed with which we're able to communicate is astounding. And yet our level of busyness only gets more and more increased where it's hard to even keep up with that. I know, because I hope that my kids one day will text me back after I've texted them, right? I think sometimes we forget what it means to work 
and communicate the gospel relentlessly. This is not a matter of never having downtime. That's not my point at all. It's not a matter of having a diversion where you're literally looking for some rest and relaxation. That's not it at all. Please don't hear this as if you're not working 24-7, then you don't love Jesus. That's not at all what I'm saying. But what I am saying is there should be a constant thought in your head, a constant reminder, however you choose to do that, with a post-it note or with a task reminder on your iPhone, doesn't make a difference. Something by which you are relentlessly communicating the gospel of God to fellow believers as well as to a lost and dying world. How are you intentionally planning and prioritizing time to seek time for others, praying for and seeking to have gospel conversations and opportunities to have fellow service and ministry amongst yourselves as well as amongst the community? There is something to be said about those in this church family that have worked relentlessly for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the health of the church family. And I think that is amazing. And I think it's astounding the way God continues to give grace for people to press on. I think it's fantastic that you have the opportunity to have Garrett with his young family be able to focus on preaching and teaching God's word someone who is capable of handling God's word, whose main interest is your own spiritual growth and your own spiritual walk. And I think the same thing is also true of each of you, as you not only pray for him as he starts back up here in a little over a week, but as you also pray for and communicate the gospel of grace to one another. This is what a healthy church does. This is how a healthy church lives. They communicate the gospel graciously. They speak the gospel gently. They live the gospel unconditionally. They communicate it relentlessly. Fourth, I want us to see in verse number 10 that they live the gospel purely. Disciples live the gospel purely. Look at verse 10. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless our conduct toward you believers. They were godly examples. Paul uses a series of adverbs here to describe the way that these folks lived. They had an inner purity, but they also had an outward example in how they lived. This holy and righteous here, as we see in the text, in a Greek setting, was used in tandem to refer to the keeping of both the laws of God and the laws of man. Holy and righteous. When that phrase was kind of put together, it wasn't just, oh yeah, he's going to do what God says. He's also going to operate in the world in which he lives as a good citizen. Obeying where appropriate all the laws of man as well as the law of God. Blameless reinforces the first two points here. This last phrase here is so key for us, or these phrases rather, is key for us to understand how we live in terms of God laws, God's laws and man's laws. So do we serve as that proper example? You are witnesses in God also, how we conducted ourselves. I just think it's amazing the guts that, <laughs> that Paul had to write some of these things. Look, we, we lived 
perfectly in your presence, you can, you can ask anyone or ask God. Okay, that's amazing that you can bring that kind of confidence to how you are living and communicating the gospel on such a pure level, not out of selfish motive, not out of frustration, not trying to win something, but ultimately for the glory of God. Disciples communicate the gospel graciously. They do so gently, unconditionally, relentlessly. They do it purely. And then finally in verses 11 and 12, I want us to see that disciples live the gospel corporately. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. A lot of phrases here in these last couple of verses here. Each of you and his own children really strengthens the impression of a personal and an individual concern, each of you. Now, we are a part of the body of Christ, right? There is a group of people here who are part of Redemption Bible Church, but it's not made up of just some body. It's made up of individuals. So each of us has a responsibility about how we live the gospel, each of you, his own children, really shows the same connection here about how we're responsible. There is this exhortation and encouragement. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. This exhortation and encouragement. Really, this is the same thing even as he's referring to his own children, right? Like a father would care for his own children in, in communicating with them and, and, and teaching them and instructing them. A good father encourages and provides guidance. Paul was not saying, I have the ultimate authority over you. Paul's function as their Christian father was to train believers in order that they should live lives worthy of God. And so he was giving this instruction. He was giving this clarity. It was not Paul's own will, but rather he was communicating his heavenly father's will that governed his actions as well as his guidance and is what gave him the authority to communicate this to the church. Disciples live the gospel corporately. They are gathered Together, where they hear someone authoritatively communicate not their own words, but God's words. If there's something that anyone's ever heard me say when I have communicated the truth of the word of God, and like, I don't see that from the Bible, please, please, let's have a conversation. Help me, help me understand. Help me understand where I... Last time I checked, I was still human. And it's possible that I misunderstood something, right? It's also possible you misunderstood something. So let's study the word together, right? Let's be like the believers at Berea, right? They studied the scriptures. Let's just see what it says. And then we'll we'll go with what the Bible says here. 
as he is communicating this, it's not his own will, but rather the will of what the scriptures say, of what his heavenly father said, and ultimately results in calling you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the corporate part here. Conversion to Christianity brought the converts into a new family and into a new way of life. Adapting to this new life was no doubt difficult for the person who did not live in a society familiar with Christianity. You people are weird. Had to have been a thought going through their minds. Right? Have you ever been to, have you ever, how many of you love family reunions? Love going to family reunions, right? Okay, both of you should leave immediately. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't go anywhere. You know what's even weirder? Going to someone else's family reunion. That's bizarre. Because they're all talking about stuff. And you're like, you know what? I can tell you people are just as weird as my family. But I have no idea about these stories of what you're talking about. It's, it's different. It's not your, they're not your people, right? That's not your thing. Picture, if you will, then, a group of people who are now gathered together who are establishing their own new family. Or someone who joins a family of God. They're brought into this kingdom of God and they're confused. They don't understand. They haven't been taught. They're not aware of what the scriptures teach. They are still stuck in a sin pattern that they have for all of their lives. And now God has called them into his own kingdom. When you communicate the gospel of God graciously in that context, recognize that people might be on step two and you're on step 102. So allowing for time of spiritual growth because now we are living the gospel corporately with people who are on an entirely different continuum of where they may be in their spiritual walk. How come they aren't da 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 Fill in the blank with whatever the thing is. I can't, did you hear what that person said? I can't believe what that person thinks. Do you believe that they went? And instead of just saying, wait a minute, there is a relentless opportunity we have to graciously communicate to this new member, new member of the family of God. They are a part of his kingdom and his glory. Because while the king is not present with us, we are in the kingdom of light and are called to live as children in that kingdom in preparation for the king to come. And so we should encourage one another to live the gospel corporately. I have exhorted you. I have encouraged each and every one of you as you are a part of his own kingdom and glory. Disciples encourage other disciples. They don't beat them down when they fail. Nothing more discouraging. Not taking offense when someone calls you out to encourage or exhort you. We're going to struggle with sin. Galatians 6 is rather clear. 
that when we are walking by the Spirit and when we are trusting God in our walk with God, when we see someone who has been overtaken in a fault, it is your responsibility as a believer to bear the sinful burden of someone else and bring them back to a place of restoration within the kingdom of God, within the local church, right? Within that assembly of believers to which they have put themselves to be accountable and for you to demonstrate that love relentlessly. And that's hard. That's why we need God's grace. That's why we need God's strength. Because left to ourselves, we'd eat our young, right? We'd destroy ourselves. This is why we need God's grace. The analogy of a family being a part of a family, this language of love and affection is all seen throughout here. I love my family. I love my wife. I love my three kids. But they're only temporary. Now, you may think I'm just trying to get out of an anniversary present, but that's not true. I love all the things that God has given us the opportunity to demonstrate the gospel through our home. But it's only temporary. Like it or not, look around the room. This is your family for all eternity. Frankly, it's a privilege, and I can't wait until we are in glory with people from parts of the world that we could never have gotten to, but we will be worshiping our king for eternity. Right? And when you think of the family of God as something beyond all your own personal preferences, I love the analogies because it's close to home, literally. We can understand what it means to care for your children, to care for your, your spouse, to care for your loved ones. We do so relentlessly. We do so purely. We want to do so to see them grow in grace. And the same thing is true with a healthy church. They communicate the gospel of grace in a kind way, disciples communicate the gospel graciously. They do so gently. They do so unconditionally. They do it relentlessly, purely, and they do it for the sake of the entire local assembly. All to the praise and glory of God. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for these truths from your word. God, I pray that you would help us to communicate the gospel of God graciously. Help us not to be selfish with our time. Help us to be giving of our time. God, help us not to be focused on the things that we want for ourselves, but help us to think of how we can serve others well. God, we need your help. We need your strength. We know that in and of ourselves, we can't do it. So God, we pray that you would help us to walk by the Spirit, not fulfill the desires of the flesh, and that above all, we would be a healthy church for your honor and your glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.